This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Happy Easter, everybody. Good to see you at church today. Look at the person next to you and say, you're looking good today. Looking good. Now turn to your second choice and say, but you are too. You are too. (laughs) So good to see you guys today on Easter Sunday. And from our family uh, to yours, we are so excited um, to celebrate Easter with you. So happy Easter. If you are in town traveling uh, and visiting family uh, here in town, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you are here. Uh, If you live in the area and saw a yard sign in your subdivision or um, you happen to see something online and filled something out, whatever the case is, however you got here, just like Crystal said, we believe you got here on purpose today. Uh, And so we believe today is going to be an important day for your life, and we're so glad to celebrate the tomb is empty with you today. Somebody say amen. Now, after church today, there is going to be a big party outside, and they, they're already getting everything ready, set up for you, and vendors, and bouncy castles, and, and balloons, and face painting, and all kinds of stuff out there. I saw a bunch of people walking while I was preaching in first service. I saw a bunch of popcorn bags walking out there, so there's going to, I know there'll be popcorn, but there's going to be a lot of fun after service, so stay, hang out, let your kids play a little bit, and enjoy each other, meet somebody new, because um, a lot of people going to the church are new, and so we want you guys to get to meet each other. Today's actually the conclusion of a series we've been in called Easter People. And what this series is about, it's all about the people surrounding the story of Easter that were greatly impacted by the Easter experience. In other words, Jesus raising from the dead, they were, they were right there in those moments. And some of the people we've talked about actually were there on the third day, saw the risen Jesus. The person we're talking about today is one of those people. If you missed any of these messages, please go back and listen to them because we've been highlighting how the risen Jesus can affect a life. Somebody say amen to that. And I know I'm a product of the resurrected Jesus, that if it had not been for him, I don't know where I would be. And a lot of you in this room would say the same thing. And so we're going to talk about somebody today that maybe you've never heard of before. And in my opinion, we've saved the best guy for last. Now, the other ones were great. Don't get me wrong. Joseph of Arimathea, the guy who actually took the dead body of Jesus off of the cross and saved our savior from being burned alive in a mass grave with all the other criminals. Jesus Jesus was not given a tomb burial that was reserved for royalty and rich people and Joseph of Arimathea was both and he gave away his own burial plot for Jesus to give him the proper burial of a king and if you missed any of that series um, at, it last week was an incredible one we talked about Mary Magdalene that she is she is not the the homeless prostitute under bridge you thought she was she was actually a boss lady in Magdala and that and financed half of the ministry of Jesus for three years. It was just a powerful time to see our story 
in the Easter story. And today is no different. But before we jump in, put your hand over your heart and let me pray. Father, would these hearts and minds be open today with all the stuff of the week and everything we've gone through and and even the stuff that's rolling around of what we gotta walk into tomorrow. God, I pray that whatever is said today would be your words and not mine and that your word would penetrate all of our hearts to the point where we leave here differently than we came. If that is you and you receive that, say amen. Let's jump in. Luke chapter 24. If you've got your Bible, go there. You can follow along on the screens. If you've got a smartphone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. And every weekend, our message notes are uploaded to that app. You can follow along, take notes, shoot it to a friend who needs it, save it for yourself. Um, But there's three ways to follow along today. But Luke 24 in the New American Standard Bible, verse 13. And behold, two of them... We're going that very day. Now that very day meaning um, the third day. And so Jesus had been crucified three days prior. This is the third day. They were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of these things which had taken place, all of the stuff, all of the crucifixion, the trials. Um, Amy Kelly mentioned last week the six trials he had to go through because nobody wanted to deal with it. Um, all of the beatings, the crown of thorns, all of they had, were talking about all of that that had just taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approaches and begins traveling with them, the resurrected Jesus. They, they didn't have Jordans. They would have seen the holes in the feet. There were no tennis shoes. He had holes in his wrists. He had holes in his ankles or feet. And they did not even notice. Continue. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and traveled with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? I just love how literal that is. Jesus is like, what are y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, now enter our, our subject for today, one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one in Jerusalem? Do you live under a rock? Are you serious? The whole city's been talking about it. Where have you been? Have you been in a coma? What is wrong with you? He's talking to Jesus like this. Now, I would too if I just watched my Lord and Savior and best friend brutally murdered. And so he's not in any mood to have a normal conversation with some rando dude on the way to Emmaus. Again, he doesn't know it's Jesus. And then he goes, Jesus goes, what things? I just love that. And then Cleopas goes on to say, okay, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word and in the sight of God and all people, and how those chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and they killed him, they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. So he's saying like, it's already the third day, so obviously it wasn't true. But also some women, though, amazed us. When they were at the tomb earlier in the morning, they didn't find his body. They came and they said they saw a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So some of us went with them to the tomb. We found it just exactly like the lady said it would be. And we never saw Jesus there. And then Jesus says, oh, you foolish men, you're slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
They still don't know it's him. He's just knocking on them and they still don't know. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things so he could enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them all of the things from the Old Testament through that were, ex- were revealing Christ in the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, Emmaus, and he, Jesus acted as though he was gonna keep traveling. He had no intention to keep traveling. He just acted like he was. And then they said, hey, no, stay with us. You've been walking with us for eight miles, which would be about two and a half hours. You might as well just stay with us and have dinner. So he went in and stayed with them. When he reclined with them at the table, he took the bread. Now see if you recognize anything here. He took the bread and he broke it and blessed it and began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Poof. Now he was flesh and blood. He wasn't an apparition. When Jesus was risen from the dead, he was an actual live person. And he vanishes from their sight. They said to one another, can you imagine what the room felt like at that moment? Like, did you just, what, is, did, what just happened? Cleo, did you see that? Were not our hearts burning within us? When he talked to us on the road, didn't you feel it? Didn't you sense something different about this guy? And they got up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, another seven to eight mile walk, and found gathered together the disciples, the 11, who were hiding because they were afraid of being murdered as co-conspirators. They were hiding in a house under lock and key. And they showed up, I guess they had a secret door knock or whatever, they get in, And they say, the Lord has really risen just as he appeared to Simon. And then they began to tell them, relate their experiences that they had with Jesus on the road and how he was recognized by them by the breaking of bread. What a cool story. Some of the greatest lessons in scripture come from those that we never even hear talk. Some uh, just like Joseph of Arimathea last week, Joseph of Arimathea doesn't say one word. It's just a story about him. Some of the greatest people in scripture say very little or nothing at all. Well, let's look at at Cleopas here. Obviously, he was a disciple and he was with Jesus in his earthly ministry and he was among some of the few, very few people who actually saw Jesus on the third day. He was not one of the 12 disciples, but most scholars believe that he was part of the larger group of 70 disciples after that. So there were three that thought they were better than everybody else, Peter, James, and John. And then there were, there were 12 that were okay with it, not really okay with it. And, and then there were 70 that were like, well, I guess we can't get in that club. And then there were usually hundreds or thousands. There were people that were serving with Jesus. It wasn't just the 12. And Cleopas was part of the larger group of disciples. And within this short story of Easter, here's what I believe. And this is when I was studying it last couple of weeks and really thinking through, because I had in mind to talk to you guys about doubting Thomas and all of that. But then I started reading more about this guy. And I was like, no, we got to talk about him because I believe I can see in this story. And I believe you will too, ourselves in this story. There's something really important about what we're going to read today. I believe you'll find yourself in it as well. And I say that because it's about the human condition. And for me, at least, highly relatable. So let's take a look. The first thing we see about Cleopas and his friend was that he was distracted. He was very distracted. Let me explain. Verse 15. 
While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. The message translation, which is a paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson, a a former Greek and Hebrew scholar who's since gone to be with the Lord, he said, they weren't able to recognize who he was. They weren't able to recognize him. The voice translation says, for some reason, for some reason, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out it was Jesus. And it's interesting to me that two people who personally knew Jesus were there for all of the sermons, were there when he was feeding a sack lunch to thousands of people after he stole a kid's basket. After, like he would, they saw all of it, they heard all of it, they could see him from walking a mile away, they knew what his voice sounded like. It's interesting to me that two people who personally knew Jesus, knew his voice, knew his cadence, knew his posture, couldn't tell immediately who just walked up next to them. That's, I think if your spouse walked up next to you in a crowd of people, you'd kind of know it was her. Or hopefully you would. I think that I would, wa- I would want to think that if I was Cleopas or his buddy that I would have known, hey, bro, shh, it's Jesus, man. Stop being snarky. It's him. Look at his feet, bro. But no, they couldn't see it. Why? What was preventing them? It says that they were prevented. Well, did Jesus, his face change shape? No. Did he look different? No. So what, what prevented them? Were their eyes closed? No, they were walking. What prevented them? And I will say to you that the, the English language is incredibly limited, even though it's one of the most difficult to learn because we break all the rules. And so English is a very limited language, but Greek and Hebrew are not. They're very expressive and very deep and very beautiful languages. And what we have to see is we gotta dig into it a little bit. So let me help us out with that. The word prevented literally means in Greek to arrest, to seize, to firmly hold back from. This word is a word of violence. If you were, if you were uh, in the military and you were screaming at one of your, um, uh, one of your captains or somebody to, to go and arrest somebody, you wouldn't say, if you were using, if you were Greek, you wouldn't say, would you please go arrest them and read them their Miranda rights? This is a a screaming word. This is a violent arrest. This is a seizure. This this is a firm hold. And in English, what would we read it as? Prevented. It's a lot deeper than you thought, isn't it? It's a violent seizure, a violent holding. And verse 16 tells us basically that they were blinded. They were not able, literally unable to see. They were inept at recognizing who he was because of the violent hold. So the question has to be asked then, what was holding them back? What was seizing them? What or who had a firm hold on them? And I believe I've got the answer to that. As we learn about Cleopas here, we see it in scripture. He was disappointed. He was confused. He was worried about the future. We see it in his tone. We see it in what he said. Look at verse 21. But we were hoping. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart very sick. Have you and I ever been in a place where you've lost hope in something? Lost hope in someone? 
Maybe for some of you, you're just appeasing your grandma to come to church today so she'd stop asking you. And, and you're, you're just here, you got a drug problem, you got drugged to church, and it's just, you're here. I get it, I get it. Maybe you've lost hope in the church. Maybe you've lost hope in people. He says, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And then he says, indeed, besides, so that's kind of like, hey, we thought this was gonna happen. We thought he was legit. I, I, I put in three years of PTO to follow this guy around. I told my wife, I'm gonna go going on a lot of trips. So you're gonna have to handle the kids on your own. I did all of this and I was hoping that it was true. And besides, it's the third day and someone stole his body and he's nowhere to be found. It's just despondent, disappointment, expectations not met. Worry about the future, like where where am I gonna go? What am I gonna do now? When we're at a low point, you and I are often, if not always, unable to see the answer right next to us. When we're at a low point, we can't tell what the answer is. We need someone to help show us So the question is, who or what has seized your attention? Who or what has seized your ability to see Jesus right next to you? Who or what has seized your ability to recognize the risen Christ in the room with you? For Cleopas, it was a deeply painful experience. So much so that he wasn't even able to recognize. That word in the Greek is epigonosko, and it means to know fully, completely, to fully understand, to know all the way through. So for some of us, we are violently being held and seized by something or someone that is keeping us from being able to know Jesus fully. Not just, oh, hey, it's Jesus. Man, you just pooped out of nowhere. Now, some of you know about Jesus, but you don't know him. You don't know him fully fully understanding who he is in your life, that when we fully understand who the Christ is, the Messiah, and when we fully understand who Jesus is, that he is worth every minute of your every day. And probably the the pandemic that's plaguing the American church is that he's worth maybe Christmas and Easter. He's worth maybe a, I really don't want to go to hell kind of thing. He's worth a tip every once in a while. But if you fully know Jesus, he's worth your life. And Cleopas knew Jesus fully, but because of what had happened to him, he was blinded and disillusioned. And all he could redo, all he could do in that moment is recount the pain. Maybe you can relate. Some of us might be in that cycle right now. What, what has happened to you and the hopes, the lost hopes that have defined your life? They were recounting to one another the pain that had just happened. And by the way, that's, that's normal. I'm not, saying you, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Their world was shaking, but I ask, are you unable to recognize Jesus in your story because you are arrested by the pain and it's no longer become an objective thing? This thing has seeped into every part of your life. And I've been there before. I've been there before where I've been so distracted and so arrested by what happened to me that I filter most of my decisions and even my thought processes were filtered through what they said and did. 
And my foundation for life then became someone else's actions or someone else's dysfunction, therefore causing me to perpetuate the same type of pain that was done to me. And maybe you're in that cycle where you don't even recognize that you have become the one who did the thing to you. And I wonder if, you're, if we are unable to recognize Jesus right next to us, maybe even in this moment, because our lives have been such a knee-jerk reaction back to the pain, back to the trauma. And you've Googled it all. You've Googled everything to try to get out of it. You've done everything. You listen to every tape. You've done all the yoga, goat yoga, baby goat yoga, all kinds of yoga. You've done every yoga you can. You've done everything you can to get a peaceful moment in your life, but you can't find it because the Prince of Peace hasn't been recognized. Notice it says, once the question is asked, Jesus says, what are you talking about? Verse 17 says, they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. The New American Standard, the one that I study out of, says they stood still. I wonder if our marriages are standing still. Our families are standing still. Our parenting standing still. Our relationships are standing still. Nobody ever told you it was going to be hard to make friends as an adult, did they? Our careers are standing still. Our spiritual lives are often standing still, looking sad, unable to move. And usually what I've seen is what happens to us can keep us from what he wants to do in us and through us. And that's why we have something called Growth Track. It happens next Sunday. It's to help get you on track so you can begin to get out of the stuck to start living life on purpose, for a purpose. Not waking up every day hoping, I hope today was better than yesterday. That is no kind of life to live. But waking up every day with a sense of identity in Christ and a sense of purpose for how he created you. So it's time to get walking. And let's, let's help each other remove these distractions and let's, let's, let's get to the point where we're actually able to recognize the miracle right next to us. And there, so one, another thing we see about Cleopas, he was distracted, but yeah, he was also walking away. And this is where all of those cool maps in the back of your Bible come in handy. He was walking in the wrong direction. He was walking in the wrong direction. Jesus had died three days before and Cleo didn't know he had been resurrected. They thought his body had been stolen or at the very least, the positive view of it was he had just been moved. Remember, this is the third day. This is Easter. They hadn't experienced the resurrected Christ yet. So in their despondency, in their pain, in their frustration, in their worry, they decided to leave Jerusalem and begin walking to Emmaus, which was seven to eight miles away, a two and a half hour walk. Why is this important? They were the only two that walked away. The Bible records that everyone else was in Jerusalem. They were walking away from everyone else. They isolated themselves while everyone else stayed together. Allow me to show this to you. They left their support. They left their friends. They left their mission. They left their purpose. Let me speak to the isolation point for a minute. Isolation, we know, is a result of anxiety and depression. We use it usually as an attempt to deal with the, the traumas, the ex, excessive worry. And when's the last time that 
you were in a dark place and you wanted to have a dinner party? When's the last time you were just in a dark place and you were, were depressed and you were like, I'm just gonna call everyone to see how they're doing? No, we isolate. We, we run, we hide, we get into the dark and guess where the only place the devil can do his work is? In the dark. He's like a cockroach. He hides under these rocks. You move the rock, they run away. You turn on the light, they run away. He's a coward and he hides under the rock and he gets you when you're at your lowest because he knows he can't beat you when you're at the top. And some of you, you're in a low place right now and you're feeling beat up. And I also want to know like, well, if you're at that low place, what are we possibly walking away from? What are you and I walking away from? What is that situation that we're trying to go to the Emmaus route and we're just trying to walk eight miles in the wrong direction? away from church, away from God, away from people, away from our friends that know us best and go back to, where did they go back to? They went back to Emmaus, their hometown. They were leaving their friends. And and we believe here that without authentic community and genuine friendships to lean on, genuine friendships to ask for wisdom from that are gonna give you biblical advice, not TikTok advice, that you and I end up making detrimental life-changing decisions when we only ask ourself in the echo chamber of self. And it doesn't just affect us, it usually affects those we love the most, most likely your children. And while the others stayed together, they retreated, they walked away to Emmaus. It was comfortable, it was known. Now hear this, where you and I retreat to, What you and I retreat to in times of uncertainty and struggle reveals our internal condition. What we go to reveals our internal condition. Instead of leaning on those that they had walked with. Because Cleopas and his unnamed buddy could have said, hey, John, I'm having a rough time with this man. I haven't seen Jesus yet. It's been three days. I gave up my life to follow this guy. And now I don't even know if everything I believed is true. Can you help my unbelief? Can you come alongside me, brother, and make sure I don't fall? But he didn't do that. He ran the other direction and kept his feelings to himself, which will only turn into pain. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus could have shown up at the house where all the disciples were. They were already there. They're already hiding. Jesus could have shown up there a lot sooner. But what did Jesus do? He raises from the dead on the third day. And what did Jesus do? Jesus comes out and he's like, wait a minute. Some of them are missing. Where'd Cleo go? I'm gonna let those guys shake under the table a little longer. I gotta go find my boy. I got to find him. I'm not going to reveal myself to the world as the resurrected Christ until I find my kid. Until I find him. And the very same thing Jesus did for Cleopas, he's doing for you and I today. He is not content with letting you run away. It's It's the sheep. It's leaving the 91, 99 to go find the one. He is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And you thought you were being polite by accepting an Easter invitation. But the truth is, is that you've been running to your own type of Emmaus and Jesus came looking for you. And he invited you here today. He's been walking right alongside of you. And you know what else? Let me give you a couple points about Jesus. Yeah, they were distracted. Um, Yeah, they were uh, completely despondent. Yes, they were walking in the wrong direction. And, and, And yes, they were burdened. And Jesus had a huge soul, a huge heart for that. Here's what I, some things I see about Jesus in this story. He's not angry. Nothing we see. Yeah, Jesus was like, oh guys, come on, don't you know what it says in the scripture? But he's not mad at them. Jesus is not angry with you. Jesus is not offended by your questions. Jesus is not offended by you wanting to know if this is real or not. He's able to stand with you and walk with you and answer these questions. He's not mad that you're even walking in the wrong direction even. In fact, he's been giving you time. Time enough to get here today. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And if you don't know what that purpose is, we believe you're in the right place to start finding it. And I bet you anything that the purpose God created you with is bigger and weightier than you think it is. Another thing I see about Jesus is he's right here, right now. He's right here. The Bible tells us that where two or more people are gathered together in my name, poof, I show up. There's more than two people in here. He's here speaking to you, speaking to your heart even in this moment. And he's willing, not only is he right here right now, but he's willing to walk with you through anything. He is a friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother. He walked with them. Notice the scripture says he walked with them all the way to Emmaus. He didn't walk with them four miles and go, okay, guys, I've had enough. It's me. It's me. You dummies couldn't figure it out. Look. Look, okay, can we go back? We've walked enough. Let's go back to where the other guys are. And if you had believed me, you wouldn't have been on this road in the first place. And a lot of you guys have this King Triton view of God that he's ready to zap you with a trident. It is not God. He doesn't own a trident. He hugs tighter than anybody you've ever met. And he's wanting to bring you closer than you ever thought he could. The second thing, uh, the third thing I see about Jesus in the story is he, he brought clarity. He is clarity. What does that mean? As Cleopas was walking in the wrong direction for eight miles, Jesus walks with him. He's despondent because of everything, like lowest of lows. And who could blame him, right? But when you and I are in moments or even seasons of pain, confusion, worry, we need clarity. And where you and I attempt to get that clarity from is crucial to us and our success. We need truth. We need clarity. And you're in a cafeteria with a group of people called the church that believe that this Bible is 100% infallible and absolute and is not up for debate. It can't be written based on any cultural pressure. 
and it will outlast anything you throw at it. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we will find is that when our children and our teenagers begin to find out that they were created on purpose, for a purpose, they won't be going to any kind of other person to tell them what to identify as because they'll identify as a child of God alone. What I love about Jesus here is that even when we're walking in the wrong direction, he's speaking purpose to us. Even when we're in disobedience, he's speaking destiny. Even when we're questioning, he brings clarity. And when you see that it's the risen Jesus, you'll run to tell anyone. You'll run to tell everyone. When you really experience the risen Jesus, you'll you'll run to tell anyone who will listen to you and maybe even those that won't. Even though they were walking away, let me show it to you. The last point about Cleopas. He was distracted. He was walking in the wrong direction. He was walking away. He was isolating himself. Didn't know he was doing that on purpose. I believe Cleopas did not have the attitude. We don't even, we can't even surmise that in scripture where he was like, I forget all these people. I don't think, I think he was just so worried and upset and concerned. He was walking in the wrong direction and probably didn't even know it. He had no one there to tell him, dude, you're you're walking in the wrong direction. He was lost. He was a lost sheep. He was in his disappointment, his distraction, his confusion. Then he experienced the risen Jesus right in the middle of it all. And the Bible says he became amazed. He was amazed. Something shifted. Something changed. Verse 32, they just saw Jesus. He just poofed out of the room. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and explaining things to us and bringing us clarity as to the events that just took place? Like, didn't you feel something different? Didn't you feel it? The Greek word there means to be marveled at the point where you hit the floor. It wasn't just like, wow, that was amazing. Now, see again, English is pretty lame. It's marveled to the point where you smack the floor. You're like, oh my God. Where you, you, would, you drop everything. You, you shatter the plates. You hit the ground. And you can't almost even contain yourself because of the level of astonishment that just hit you. That's what happened when Jesus broke the bread. And, I, and you know, I think Jesus is kind of funny. So I think Jesus probably took the bread and he was like, and then poofed away. Did you see that? It doesn't say that in there. If there was an asterisk, I think it would say Jesus winked and then poofed away, which would be fun. Nonetheless, they had this moment with God, almost a last supper kind of moment right there. They were amazed, hit the floor. Look what it says, verse 33. And they got up after they took a nap. It doesn't say that. It says, they had just walked, if you walked eight miles today, there ain't no way you could get anyone to talk you into walking another eight miles. Some of y'all ain't walked eight miles in a year. You're like, I'm not walking 16 miles in a day. No way am I doing that. But they got up at that very hour said, put your flippy floppies back on, Cleo. 
We're going to Jerusalem. They're all waiting. We got to tell everybody. He was just here. He just winked at me. I just saw it. He, let's go. Get your robe on. Hold up your toga. Run. Let's go. We got to get to Jerusalem. We got to tell everybody. And I believe that they made record time getting to Jerusalem. And then it says, they told everybody, the Lord really has risen. It's for real. Now, Cleopas, all the disciples are hiding. They're afraid of getting beheaded and crucified and murdered. And rightly, they should be as co-conspirators. They were hiding in a dark house. The windows shut, the doors locked. We talked about that week number one. The doors locked shut with multiple deadbolts. And I guess Cleo knew the secret knock and they let him in. And he's like, open the windows, turn on the lights, get out of the darkness. He really is alive. And when somebody, when a life like mine and yours has come into contact with a true risen Jesus, I'm not talking about church attendance because church attendance is easy when you've met the true Jesus. I'm not talking about belonging to a denomination or belonging to the Catholic church. Jesus never once even started a church on his own. The disciples did that. Jesus was just Jesus. And when you've met the true risen Christ, you can't shut up. Everywhere you go, you're looking for somebody to bring with you to church. Everywhere you go, you're like, hey, I used to live in darkness, but now I don't. Hey, why are you different? Well, because the Prince of Peace lives in me. What does that mean? Come with me. Come, let me show you to the man who told me about everything I've ever done. Do you see the parallels to every story in the New Testament? Jesus is doing the same thing. And for those of you that think Jesus is mad at you, he's not mad at you. The only time we see Jesus get mad and make a whip and hit people and cuss and throw tables is when there are religious people holding people hostage and abusing them. That's the only time you see Jesus get mad. Every other time, it's love, it's care, it's provision. I'm gonna go find you. You thought you'd been looking for a religion, but what you did was Jesus came and found you and brought you to a ketchup-smelling cafeteria so you could hear about salvation. It's a beautiful picture of what he does for us. It says they immediately begin to relate their experiences. Truly found people find people. Truly saved people save people. We say a lot at the church, don't invite people to church and tell them, well, we have coffee, we have that. We don't, no, we don't do that. No, you tell them your story. You tell them how you used to be walking to your own Emmaus, walking to your own bottle, walking to your own drug, walking to your own mistress. And then Jesus found you on your road to Emmaus and turned you around. You put your sandals back on. You've been telling everybody ever since. Tell them that. Tell them that. And when you've been saved and you no longer live in darkness, it's hard to keep your mouth quiet. Later on at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus appears in the room. He poofs back into another room. That's a pretty cool post-resurrection trick. I think Jesus was enjoying it too much because he kept popping and poofing into rooms. But this time he poofs into the room. Cleopas is there with the 11. And Cleopas is like, I beat you here. You can poof into rooms, I still beat you here. I ran all the way to Jerusalem and you poofed too late. I, just, I read the Bible in a fun way. Y'all should do it too. 
So Jesus poofs in the room. He's like, oh, you beat me, Cleo. I beat you, Cleo. I was like, dude, do y'all see him? Do you see him? Look at his feet. Peter, get over here, cock-a-doodle-doo, denier three times. Look at his feet. Look at his feet. It's real. It really happened. And what happened to the disciples after that moment? They were filled with boldness and billions of people are celebrating Easter today because Jesus revealed his resurrected self to 12 people. So imagine with me what our tiny little towns of Schertz and Cibolo and Selma and Live Oak could look like. Imagine with me what Marion and New Braunfels and Garden Ridge could look like if hundreds of people in a room like this in the first service got a real picture of the resurrected Jesus. It would start a wildfire in your workplace and our school districts and our school board meetings that no one would be able to stop if they tried. But it takes you and I acknowledging and recognizing and knowing fully and thoroughly not church attendance, not just your Enneagram type, not just what candy bar are you, but I'm a child of God, everything else is dead. I'm died, I've died to myself, it's, if it hadn't been for him, then I got nothing. Where would I be without him? Would I be a God into my own self? When they're at my funeral, and I've done a lot of funerals, and some of them are really sad, and some of them are a big party. The ones that are really sad are the ones that didn't know Jesus. And the family's sitting with me in a room, and they're like, you can tell about the time that Uncle Jimmy put too much Jack in Grandma's Coke. You can, that was a true story. I was like, I'm not telling that story. Uh, you can tell about there, and they can't even tell me anything about their beloved departed because that person didn't affect any life change for their family tree. We believe at this church that you need to be thinking three generations ahead for every decision you make because it will affect your great-grandkids. And if you start to stand up for your generation and say, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna, the world, the United States can say and do whatever they want, but as for me and my house, we've seen the resurrected Christ and it's changed our family tree forever. Everybody stand to your feet today. He's alive, everybody. He's alive. Somebody say the tomb is empty. Jesus is doing the exact same thing today that he did thousands of years ago. He's found you today, possibly walking in the wrong direction. He's speaking truth and clarity to you, and he's revealing himself to you. And guess what happens after this when he poofs into the next room? He tells all of them in the room what their next steps are. They didn't know what their next steps were until the resurrected Christ came. So your next step today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is to receive and accept the resurrected Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you've been Googling, help me find purpose. You've been Googling, you've done everything you can. But today is the day that the rest of your life changes forever. Romans 5 eight says, but God demonstrate his own love for us in this, that while we were still messed up, while I was still walking away, while I was still confused, while I was still depressed, while I was still despondent, while I was still worried, he died for me. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be available. And so all you gotta do in this moment is say yes to him. And some of you already know Jesus and that's incredible. Some of you have met Jesus before and you started walking to Emmaus. And some of you have never heard that Jesus was a real man 
who died on a real cross and rose from the dead three days later, conquered death, hell, and the grave. You don't have to live like hell on earth because heaven has invaded your heart. Your whole family tree can change forever. And that gospel truth is that you are not able to pay for your sins on your own. You're unable to do it. The penalty of sin is death, but guess what? Jesus paid the penalty. If someone said, I'm gonna pay off your mortgage, you're like, no, I'd like to pay it myself. That's what it's like. When we won't receive Jesus, we're like, I'd rather pay for all of my sins of my own and try to be kind and try to be good and just do one good thing a day. That's not Christianity, that's self-righteousness. But what he's inviting us to do today is die so he can come alive. And the only way to know real life is to die first. And it comes with you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you into a relationship with him today. And you can join the people in first service that met Jesus Christ for the first time. And right now is your moment. And if you've known Jesus before and you started walking to Emmaus, right now is your moment to turn around, put your sandals back on, lift up that toga and take back off and come back home. Come back home. Show up next Sunday night. Let's get on track and let's see exactly why God brought you to a cafeteria. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. And I want everyone in this room to repeat after me. The band's gonna come out. They're gonna lead us in one more song. And while they're singing that song, the prayer partners, y'all go ahead and come on down. The prayer partners are gonna be down here. If you want prayer for anything at all, anything at all, they're here for you. And some of the prayer partners here are also going to be serving communion. And the way we do communion here, it might be a little different um, unless you were raised like Episcopalian. This is familiar to you where you take a piece of the bread off, you dip it in the juice, and then you eat it. It's called intinction uh, for the liturgical folks in the room. And all that does is you're remembering the body broken for you, and you're remembering the blood shed for you. And that's what they're gonna say to you. They're gonna say, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, your sins are forgiven. Have somebody speak that over you today. And then if there's a prayer partner up here that does not have a cup and a loaf of bread, they're there to pray for you specifically over anything you need. And when I'm done praying, the altars are open, the band's gonna begin to sing, and heaven's gonna have a party, and the devil got a big black eye today. Does that sound good to you? Come on, let's pray. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, right now is your moment. Everybody say, Lord Jesus. I'm tired of doing this myself. I'm tired of living for myself. I recognize you as Lord and Savior. I know you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose from the dead on the third day. I am now a Christian. My old self has gone away. You've redeemed me from the pit and brought me into your marvelous light. I don't have all the answers yet, but I know you do. I'm not renovated, I'm made brand new. And your word tells me that when I make you my Lord and Savior, that I'll never be the same. So I declare it boldly today that I'm a Christian. Jesus is Lord. And I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Give Him your best praise today. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, 
Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.